Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to the Women Today podcast. This week has seen us find out about lessons for dads-to-be, why and how we could all use a little more laughter in our lives. Oh, and also how to get a tattoo. But first, Professor Margaret Ross MBE was on the Isle of Man to speak to the Ireland branch of the British Computer Society about why we need more girls and women in IT jobs. And she came up to the Women Today studio to share some of her thoughts with us, along with Chair of the Junior Chamber of Commerce, Kate Parrish. Let's just first focus on the fact that it is a a really important day for many 18-year-olds across the island. It is A-level results day. By now, they will know their grades, um, know if they've gotten to university of their choice and know what they need to do, hopefully, to get into the career that they may be dreaming of. Um, Kate Parrish, do you remember your A-level results day? I do. Um, It was six years ago. Um, I think the week before, I didn't sleep a wink, but the night before, I was quite lucky. I just thought, what will be, will be. Uh, I think I woke up fairly early and my sister came bounding into my room, come on, need to check so I went down and then my computer was being very slow that day technology <laughs> absolutely um, and I managed to log on and uh, I did get into my first choice university so that was a, a massive relief so when I then went into school I could be far more relaxed because it didn't really matter what I got in the end because I'd got into into my first choice so do you know, <laughs> do you know in my day which actually wasn't that long ago but yeah you couldn't do that you did have to just wait till you got into school and it was all that black and white awful. and the dinosaurs <laughs> delivered it sorry Beth you're not that old I'm you finished but yeah I'm fine <laughs> Uh, Professor Ross, do you remember your results day? Oh, um, not really, to be honest. Um, But I do remember I was a bit nervous, but I had two plans. One, I either got the results I wanted or I wasn't going to get them, in which case I didn't actually know. So one was actually going to go, I'm going to university, and this is actually what happened, or alternatively, I was going to go to industry. (laughs) And that was actually the plan. So I didn't, I was actually not so much looking at the results, I was actually looking with the excitement of which career am I following? (laughs) If we talk about business generally, um, and more specifically for you, um, IT, how important do you think exam results are? Not necessarily. What you're actually looking for, for somebody to be good in IT, you're looking basically for the skills of good communication, uh, ability not only to speak, but particularly to listen. Because again, if they can't actually pick up the information, um, you're going to actually get a beautifully working computer system. Unfortunately, it's not actually what your customer wanted. So ability to listen is absolutely critical. Ability to problem solve and get on with people and to work in a team. Now, if you've got that, you've got all the skills that you need. The rest can just be learned. And if someone is hoping for a job in technology or IT, when would you say that they have to make that decision? anywhere along the line. We've actually had some people that have actually changed careers and gone into technology in the 50s very successfully. So you can actually make the change anywhere along the line and this is actually something that's always worth remembering. Um, You've been talking, as I say, to the Isle of Man branch of the British Computer Society this week about um, what needs to happen to encourage more girls and and women into the world of IT. Um, I wonder then what you think needs to change in the education system to break down those barriers. I mean, we talked about something, a pilot that's happening in England about computer studies being available from a very early age. Is that enough? Yes. I mean, this might happen. Again, you've got the co-club here that's starting off with the eight-year-olds plus. Um, I gather that it was designed for the eight-year-olds plus, but you've actually got all of the ages, including some of the parents are now coming along regularly. Um, So it actually seems to be the sort of eight to 80 almost. (laughs) Um, But some of the things that uh, you want to try to do to, to encourage in the schools is to sort of think about the careers themselves. I'm not sure about the situation in the Isle of Man, but on the mainland, um, 
if you don't mind me referring to that way around. We're the mainland, how <laughs> dare You're the mainland, that's true, <laughs> that's true. The other mainland. Um, it's very difficult for uh, youngsters to get careers advice. Uh, very often they're sort of aimed towards the internet, have a look, see what you can find out about it. So they don't very often understand what the options are because in a technology now you've got everything from the very techie end where you're doing the networking, you're actually building it, you've got the coding side, you've got the business side, you've got the project managers where you're, you're not actually techie people at all, you're business people and they are desperately needed. You sound genuinely excited about that, but I just wonder what you feel about the way that people in IT are generally portrayed. Let's think about the media um, and television, for example. There's a programme that people may remember called the IT Crowd. Oh, yes. Um, that portrays a very specific type of person who's interested in computers, I would suggest. Yes. How helpful or otherwise would you say that is? I don't think that one was particularly helpful. <laughs> so, Because really what you were talking about there is a very sort of geeky image and people that are actually um, involved in technology, they've got lives, they've got, they have families, um, they've got hobbies. They do sort of interesting things. Some of their hobbies might be actually in the sort of the, the dangerous area of sports. Um, talking about some of my students that have actually gone on and got their degrees, uh, they were just sort of doing mountaineering, sort of free fall climbing. And in fact, unfortunately, one of the lads actually was doing this and he was doing this overhang and two minutes after the picture was taken, he fell off the mountain and it took them two hours to get him to a hospital. Oh, the, the, everything mended all right afterwards and he got his degree at the end. And he's, he's great. But, uh, his, uh, but the, you know, they do do sort of... Uh, rather dramatic sports as well as people who've got um, hobbies that are actually much more sort of home-based hobbies and that's fine and the message we want to try and get on that if you're in technology both for boys and for the girls you can have a really interesting life outside the technology as well as getting lots of excitement through working within the technology. Do you know I want to pick on up on something that um, Kate Parrish or other guests mentioned earlier and it was when you were talking about somebody coming to to fix your computer and there's a friend of mine who is a woman. She did a computer science degree. There were 180 people in her year. Only four of them were women. But she went in to do bespoke computer building. Mm -hmm. She says whenever anybody phoned up or came into the shop, they mm -hmm. asked to speak to a man. They automatically assumed that she was just the shop front and that it would be a man dealing with her. How can you get away from that image? Unfortunately, it is difficult because, I mean, I know that when so I'm answering the phone, I'm ex expected to be the secretary. <laughs> and so could somebody actually... Could I speak to somebody that knows what they're doing? You know, they sort of assume it's not me because I'm a woman, which is a bit sad, really. Uh, one of the things actually we're trying to do um, is to actually get involved with a drama and television and radio to try and actually have series that actually shows women actually in key positions. And this is actually something I'm working on at the moment uh, with some colleagues in Finland because they have the same problem. Well, in 2001, you won an award for a TV yes. soap idea that, if televised, um, would have raised the profile of engineering and attract young people, particularly girls, yes. to computing and technology. Yes. What can you tell us about that? Oh, that was brilliant. Um, well, I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> but uh, we had to actually... Um, the, the competition was to come up with a TV series that would actually hopefully promote the whole concept of technology and this was fine. So if you imagine a sort of Dallas, uh, but very much into technology, so there was a drama, there was a, a romance, there was a backstabbing aspect that comes in, but the whole time around it, it was around about technology. So you were seeing key characters, key leaders that were female, which was great. And you could see the sort of the interaction with it. And um, unfortunately, they said it was, a, it was a good idea and they liked it very much, but it would cost too much to do. But... Um, 
how about actually having a um, a series on television where all the st- it was based on students where they'd all get drunk and go into drugs, etc. And I said this wasn't actually the image I was trying to actually come up with. So that uh, the the version that we're working on again with Finland, um, if it comes on because they've got a shortage of professionals, and we're going to hopefully use radio stations and internet. Uh, to reach out to small businesses and to youngsters. Let's stay on the um, notion of, of image and how people are portrayed because, Kate Parrish, I wonder how you feel businesswomen like yourself are portrayed. Um, I don't know, really. I think I, I think the perception of, of women in business is changing and I, and I really don't think that there's a sort of glass ceiling that you know a lot of people do talk about I think women now are given a, a fair opportunity I mean you know in, in terms of myself I've, I wouldn't say I've, I've, I've never got to you know I haven't got to where I am now because I'm a woman or because I'm you know I think you it, it's all about yourself um, and I think as long as you try hard and you know you give 110% everything you do you know I, I hope um, you know that we are moving away from the whole man and woman you know it doesn't matter what you are as long as you can do the job you know then that's I think that's the best way really can you be nice though as a woman in business or do you have to be that power suit take no rubbish ball busting kind of girl no not at all I you know I you know again from personal experience you know just be yourself really um I I really don't think if you're going to be somebody that you're perhaps not or trying to be somebody like you say who just goes through and you know busts everybody if if that's the sort of person you are then maybe that works but I think you've got to just remain true to yourself and, and, and do it that way Where do you see then your own future in the business world going? Is there everything here on the island for you to do what you want to do? Yeah absolutely um, I moved to um, my job in April and uh, my role is well the company I work for um, doesn't have a didn't have a marketing department before so I've moved in to to set one up um, and over the last sort of four or five months you know we've been working really well to to make that so I think and you know I hope that my future will stay on the Isle of Man and um, you know I can work my way up and uh, as I would would like to be a director and and I think that's good for marketing as well because again that's seen as quite an an airy-fairy subject sometimes so you know power to marketing I think and uh, you know if if particularly for for women and, and and the board if you can get a marketing director on the board that you know that's good. And with regard to the JCC, you've got a, a few more weeks left in your capacity as chair. What would you hope to have really achieved by the end of your term as head? Well, the, we've 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 had a really quite a big strategic drive the last twelve months. Um, we about twelve months ago, we only sort of had one event a month, um, and we always had around sort of forty guests at our events. But we looked at that and thought, you know, that's good. And a lot of associations that put on events even thought that was a great number so we looked at it and thought right we really really want to be the best networking um, association on the Isle of Man and be a place where business people can meet up so we looked at it and thought well how are we going to do that and I think by putting two or three events on a month so people are meeting up regularly and it's not oh a month ago you know you've forgotten who you've perhaps spoken to um, you know you're keeping regular contact and what, if anything, does the G- JCC do to almost mentor young women who may be still at school to consider careers in business? 
Um, well, we're, we're looking at looking at that at the moment because we've tended to focus on 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 businesses, but we're, we're looking as a whole to to see well can we get involved with what the schools do I know that there's the junior achievement which is something totally separate but they go in um, and they speak to, to kids I think of sort of between 16 and 18 um, and, and how they can get into the business world and, and start thinking about business ideas so you know we're really wanting to attract everybody really um, and, and just say well this, you know, this is a place to meet and, and meet other people and get to know different industries and jobs and you know communicate that way uh, Professor Ross does a woman in IT have to be a little bit tougher to make herself heard to make herself stand out a little bit um You've got to be prepared that you might well be ignored sometimes when you would expect... You see, you sit around a, a committee room or something and you see that the men are automatically um, brought in to speak and you might be actually sort of slightly ignored, but uh, you, you, know, you can actually sort of smile sweetly and, and wave your hand like mad and hopefully <laughs> uh, they will actually take notice of you. And after a bit, you know, they sort of forget that you're a woman. You're just, you know, a member of the team. So it's fine. But it's at the beginning sometimes. There's a few problems for girls. Well, in terms then of anybody listening who maybe, I don't know, maybe they've got their A-level results today, maybe they don't quite know what they want to do, what would you say to them to, to make them think about a career in IT? It's a fantastic future. It's interesting. So if you actually like, to, you're a good communicator, if you like solving problems, you like a little bit of a challenge, you like to actually learn new things, then it's probably for you. And there's so many areas you could work in. Do you want to work in the film industry? There's technology. You want to work in the space industry? Technology. Um, do you want to work in the hospitals, in education? Uh, they're all areas. And business, finance, they all actually need technology. So if you fancy any of those areas, technology could be for you. I'm just uh, finally just interested in your thoughts because we have talked on this programme before about um, the problem of children using technology too much, being totally immersed in it and not actually socialising or even going out to play these days. What's your thoughts there? You do have to actually have that mixture because you do need those other skills as well. And one of the problems now very often is actually making sure, and I suspect this is going to be a problem in the future, that they have the soft skills, the communicating skills. And this is actually very important. Also, you shouldn't spend too long anyway on your machine uh, without taking a break. 40 minutes is more than enough. You should actually go and at least go make a coffee, even if you don't go and talk to another human, or go and talk to your cat or your dog or something, because uh, you want to move about, because what you don't want to end up with is repetitive strain injury for using the, the keyboards so much, or you're texting so much for too long. Don't look at me when you said texting, thank you very much. So last week I had quite an unusual experience when I went to a daddy baby care session. Held once a month and completely free of charge, the idea is to get a group of dads-to-be together to learn the basics of looking after a newborn and so they can ask questions of the midwives and of each other. It was incredible. It's not often as a woman you get to sit there and just observe a group of men and just watch them interact. And I must admit, I learned a fair bit about babies too. Um, we're going to hear from the nervous guys in a little while. But first of all, I asked midwife Anne-Marie to explain the idea behind it. We found there was a bit of a niche in the market and there was a lot of dads that never held a baby, um, never changed nappies. So we started this course to help them so they became more confident. How long has it been going on for? Nearly two years. It'll be two years in November. And what kind of things are these dads likely to be nervous about? Handling babies, what to do when the wives are in labour, um, how to change a baby's bum, how to bath a baby, that sort of thing. 
I've got to say, when I walked into this room, I felt instantly nervous because there's a circle of chairs and a doll on each chair. Are we going to be treating this like a real baby? Yes. We tell the dads to treat this baby. This is their baby for the night and they're to look after this baby as though it is their own and it is real. I'm scared. I haven't spent much time with babies and I'm genuinely nervous. Well, it just helps them prepare for the real thing, really. And we actually have a baby doll here that's a big baby doll and we ask them to guess the weight so that they can sort of imagine for when the partners give birth about what size their baby could be. Well, in they came, each collecting their new baby. First things first. We would like you to put your baby somewhere safe while we play this game. So, Yep, they all chucked it under their chair. But as Anne-Marie says, the first thing they had to do was guess the weight of the baby. Hi, I'm Paul. <laughs> my baby, wife's baby's you, or my baby's, our baby's you, in three weeks. Do I just guess his weight then? Yeah, go, have a guess. By nine pounds. OK, OK, do you want to pass him on? Bearing in mind, he is a real baby, so you have to be a little bit careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not a rugby ball. <laughs> Hi, I'm John. I'm from the South of the Island. Uh, wife's expecting on about eight weeks' time, ten pounds. Hi, I'm Danny. This is due in mid-September, in about 10-3. Oh, gosh, you're all very serious. Wow. You could see a few eyes begin to water. Why do you think we got you to guess the weight of baby? Size of the nappies. Mm. Feed. Mm, Not quite. Understand the moaning. (laughs) And yes, this was a reoccurring theme. But it was really obvious that beneath all the jokes, they were actually taking it really seriously. And the midwives leading the session were stressing how much of an important role they will have to play during delivery, even though it may not seem like it on the surface. Very right, you can give her a hand to squish. Okay, what other things might you want to try and do to support her? Bearing in mind, I've given you a little cue as to how long these first labours can last. Okay, so your partner's lucky if she has a very short labour, but she could have a labour that's 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 hours long. So what can you do in that 15, 16, 17 hours to support her? Rub her back. Yeah, fabulous. Reassure her. Yeah, lots and lots of reassurance, okay. You're going to be scared too, but if you can not show that and you can try and reassure her, then that will be amazing for her, she'll cope much better. You will all going to be quite frightened and scared about what's going on, okay? Ask questions. <coughs> Do not sit there being, oh my God, what's going on? Oh my God, what's going on? As midwives, we're there to work with you. I think it's fair to say it all became a lot more real for the dads-to-be when they were joined by Ollie and his 13-day-old daughter, Matilda, who was on last month's session. Please abuse him as much as you want, but be nice to him, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Your baby's not a an eight pounder is it that's more than eight pounds is it uh, she was eight five when she was born uh, and they had a lot of questions from whether you get to cut the cord if it's a c-section to what the first nappy change is like i spoke to the new dad after he'd finished imparting his newfound wisdom and asked him why he decided to come back when, when i came on this before matilda was born um i think it, I, I found it really really helpful there was this great unknown about how i was going to how do you bath them how do you feed them? How do you do anything with them? And also, I mean, what's the process? How do you, uh, you know, when you go into into the hospital, what do you need to bring? Um, how do you get them home again? Who comes and visits and when? I found it very helpful just to sort of come, you know, just come down and have it all explained in a sort of quite a non-threatening environment. 
Next up was learning to wash their baby and, of course, change a nappy. Now then what you do, you wash your baby's face, the next bit is the hair, you would wash the hair. So whilst they were busy, I took the opportunity to speak to Helen, a visiting midwifery student from Salford University. I just think it's, it's a really nice way to introduce dads to being a parent and not feeling left out and showing them all of the things that they can do and be involved with and exciting them about becoming a dad. It seems quite important to give them a role as well, especially during labour and delivery and those first few days, give them something to, to almost to do. Yeah, it's something to feel proud of when they can teach it, something they can feel proud of when they can do it, um, and perhaps just dissolving some of those nerves. They've already practised the unknown and then they're ready for the real thing a little bit more. So what did they think of it? Well, here are a few of them. It's not quite real yet. Uh, this has made it more real tonight and been very useful tonight. Uh, I'm so glad to come along, met some other dads as well, so that's brilliant. What have you learned so far? I think just holding the baby. Um, holding the baby, I was really, I was really apprehensive about holding the baby because I've never held a newborn baby. So, Paul, when is your baby due? 28 days' time. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm really excited. Really, really excited, honestly. Nervous? I, I wasn't until tonight, and there's been a few things that have kind of hit me. I didn't even think about taking the Jane telephone number. I didn't think... I, I run around on next to empty on my car all the time, so... There's two things already that I'm starting to think about. And Richie, when is your baby due? The 26th of September. Not too long? No, no, not too long at all. we just come back from a 3D scan as well. Went to Liverpool. Yeah, it was amazing. You can see all the details. Yeah, yeah, really excited, yeah. Okay, so Danny, when is your baby due? The 25th of September. And how are you feeling? Am I allowed to swear? No, no, you're not. (laughs) Well, I'm scared, yeah, I'm pretty nervous, but I'm excited but nervous. And what have you learnt this evening? I've learnt actually quite a lot, like how to bath them and all that. I never knew how much involved it was and how hard it was, especially trying to put some clothes on and trying to fight it. And It's not even a real baby, so... You're clutching it now. You look quite comfortable. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Darren, when's your baby due? September 10th. And how are you feeling? Uh, Not bad, as in not. Uh, I've got a lot of friends who've had kids years, years and years ago. And I think it's just become kind of second nature, you know, normal. I'm not that fussed. I'm, born <laughs> <up>. <laughs> no. I'm sure your partner's like delighted to hear that. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be different when it's born. Okay, Diane, so uh, the session's just finished. These dads-to-be are off. How do you think that went? Was that kind of a, a typical session? I think they're a little bit more jovial than they normally are. I think you might have had something to do with that. <laughs> Me? <laughs> Pretty much, the, the, I think they get what they need out of it. We have the feedback we get is, is very good. I don't think we've had any real negative feedback, so hopefully we're doing the right thing. And the girls on the ward, um, the midwives, say they do notice a difference in the dads that have been to the daddy baby care. So I'm hopeful that we are helping. If you want to find out more or book onto one of the courses, call the Jane Crickle Maternity Ward, and it's normally the first Tuesday of the month between 7 and 9 p.m. But there was one man at the session who had already become a father. Chris's son Killian was born seven weeks premature. Mum, son and dad are doing really well and Chris just wanted to make sure he wasn't missing anything and that he's fully equipped for when they leave the hospital. So finally, I asked him what becoming a dad really felt like. It's kind of cliche what lots of other fathers have said to me is that, that the feeling is that sort of cliche feeling that does change everything and, you know, you, you do have that special bond and it, it is there straight away, you know, it's, you kind of think it might be something that takes a while to grow but straight away you, you feel it and, you know, it's yours and 
it's a it's a remarkable feeling. Yeah. Our guest presenter today is Stephanie Davis, founder of CEO, um, founder and CEO of Laughology, um, and really the focus is what just incorporating more humor into people's lives to make them work better to to be better what is it we um are absolutely passionate that um in workplaces in schools um in in the health sector that everyone has the right to be happy but more than that 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 happiness um and humor and laughter um should be part of of everyday workings part of everyday schools um and it's not just because it feels good and because it's a nice thing to do but it actually makes the brain work better so my background was stand up and then I went into psychology I've done a lot around positive psychology and research around how the brain works how we learn Um, and every single thing in education or work or health works better when we are happy and positive but is it something you can actually teach though because I would suggest having met some people who weren't naturally positive I shall say (laughs) um, that you know it, it must be difficult if you haven't got that general frame of mind so we aren't born with either being positive or negative our mindset or our personality is is given to us as we grow up as we grow older and interestingly we are born with the innate ability to laugh so we're born with that it's a communication tool but our sense of humor is learned and developed it's a system for processing information ultimately when we strip it back from comedic value and entertaining value it's a system for processing information and a really important tool to be able to look at life differently and that's absolutely what you can teach people how to process information and and look at life in it with a perspective sometimes some people have got a pretty black sense of humor and seem to laugh at things that are are really quite unfortunate is that okay so it's it's not to say whether some things are okay and some things aren't because it's not just yes and no that's not okay if you work in the emergency services um i've worked with doctors and they do have a really dark black sense of humor but that's their coping skills that's their strategy to to move forward now it's there's an appropriate around timing who you say that to within circles who you talk to but absolutely that's what gets them through to do their next job and for you personally, I guess really you do have to practice what you preach. I mean, can you here and now tell us that you are this sort of positive, happy, funny person all the time? No, and and I am not. And I think that is what's practicing what I preach because life is about balance. Um, yes, I can look for things and I can see the positive and I can be optimistic about things. I'm also a realist, but they are tools in a toolbox and that's really important. And crying is really important. Um, and being able to express emotions and be emotionally intelligent is really important. But it's about not letting... Um, when life is is pushing back at you, having tools to be able to push back against that. So, yeah, I can be optimistic, happy, fun to be around and dead smiley. But I'm also a human being and that's really important. When you meet people for the first time, though, and you tell them what you do, especially with your background as a stand-up <laughs> comedian, do you get people who just go, OK, then, prove it. Yeah, go on. Tell, tell me, me a joke. joke. Tell me a joke. Dance for me. That's it. Make me laugh now. Um, and uh, you know, even when I was doing comedy, I, I'll be honest, I, I can't tell jokes. I went to school with Ben. <laughs> Ask Ben. I could never tell a joke, and still, still can't. Um, but it wasn't about that. It was about observations about life. And I grew up in the Isle of Man. You know what? And then you know, I'm from Liverpool originally. Um, then went back to Liverpool. Um, was engulfed in, in the Scouse sense of humour for for 15 years. Then I lived there. Um, at university and so it's it's a great training ground and, and 
humour is very much about how you see the world and, and flipping things on their heads and being able to not be reactive, but just take that kind of look and see it very differently. And it's, it's a brilliant skill to have. And it is a skill that can be worked on. See, Kate, you'll be all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to work on it. Okay. Okay. Some tips later. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's what we need, Stephanie. We're doing at the some end one of the show. Ones, Kate yeah. and I at the end. <laughs> I'm going to be hilarious by tomorrow, Beth. You watch it. She's coming in with shoes on, red nose, and everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's got the red nose on today already. Um, <laughs> Women Today, brought to you by CityWing.com for your next flight away. Okay, we're asking now if you would ever feed your child someone else's breast milk because newly published research shows almost half of breastfeeding mothers in Britain would consider sharing their milk with other parents online. And one in 50 breastfeeding mothers are apparently already using free milk-sharing websites to connect with parents who can't breastfeed. So how does it work? Well, many of the networks are on Facebook or other community pages and the mums post their location and wait for someone nearby to match with them. Ray Lowe took extra milk from a woman she met online for her disabled son. I hoped that he would eventually be able to breastfeed directly from me, but that didn't happen. So I continued expressing and I continued expressing for two years. But obviously with three small children and having one of whom had quite severe disabilities and having to breastfeed and having to express my supply wasn't really quite enough so that's when I started looking for someone who could donate breast milk for me and I did that via a Facebook group and so did you know the person who's I didn't know so was it a bit strange because obviously you need to sort of trust that person yeah it as I said it's not like using a milk bank where donors are screened for diseases or you know to check their lifestyle and that kind of thing so absolutely there's definitely a degree of trust people who donate usually disclose whether they are taking any medications or any vitamin pills or anything like that they also will tell you what age of child they have or they had when they were expressing and most people will sort of tell you whether they're smokers or non-smokers and if they drink and how much they drink but of course you have to take all of that on trust so was it was it easy to find someone for this I was surprised at actually how easy it was because I know for a fact we don't have a milk bank up up here in the northeast. And I mean, to be honest, even if we did, usually the priority is given to very small premature babies who are ill. But when I asked, I, I did get quite a good response quite quickly. So I was quite surprised at, at how easy it was. That's Ray Lowe who took breast milk from a woman she met online for her disabled son. So then would you feed your child someone else's breast milk? It's a a really interesting one. I was saying to to Stu when we were talking about this just before this programme that it's again one of those subjects that people tend to have very strong reactions on either side. People don't really seem to be neutral on this one. No, I think you're right. I think... um we've seen since this story came out that people do have that really uh, polarised opinions. I've got to be honest, when I first heard about this story, I was just, my instant reaction was, Ugh, that that's horrible, that's... Ugh. But then, as the more I've read about it and the more I've kind of understood it and the more I've probably just given it a bit of thought, um, actually, I can kind of see the reasons you would do it and... I don't really have that much of a problem with it. I don't think it's a particularly new thing. We know that uh, throughout the centuries there have been wet nurses and, and things like that. And, you know, in, in times gone by, if that sort of thing hadn't been available, then many, many more babies would have died. 
And I think if we are okay with giving babies formula milk, which is essentially from another animal, then why is this such a weird thing? I think it is maybe because we talk a lot about the link that is formed during breastfeeding. We talk about that bonding that happens through that kind of process. So I wonder if that's why we go, oh, it's weird to think of a child latching on to another woman. Whereas, I mean, if she was to express milk and you were to feed your child through a bottle, maybe that's slightly different. I think what really surprised me about it, though, was just the ease and the the popularity of it. I did not realise that this was going on online. I think also, you know, if you brought into another uh, another aspect of it, like a commercialisation, that's where I think I would have a real issue with it. You know, people sort of seeing it as a precious commodity that could be for sale. But if this is supporting mothers who really feel that breast milk is the best thing for their baby and if they can't, for whatever reason, do it for themselves, I just think, fair play. I kind of like the, the community aspect of it. I like the idea of women looking for other mothers around them and the way it's bonding together but then I guess it comes down to a point all about trust this really really it's fundamental that you trust that person without really any background to support it I think that is the big thing and would I go online and think oh this person says that she's this and she doesn't smoke and she's completely healthy and would I give that to my baby Possibly not. The one thing that amazes me about it is there's people who actually go on and say, oh, um, I don't smoke, I don't drink, um, I'm also a vegetarian or I'm a vegan. And I was like, oh, I never really thought that people would be bothered about that, to be honest. Um, Jenny Smith, Richard Kimraid, I'm just going to ask for an initial reaction from you, not clearly something that either of you have uh, had first-hand experience of. But Richard, any thoughts? No, no. Just no. <laughs> yeah, I just no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't know. Yeah, no. I'd leave that to mothers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jenny, um, I personally, I've not heard of it before, but I do think it's a great thing. Um, but as you've said, it is all about the trust and how can you be sure that this person um, is who they say they are and does what what they say they do. Um, I think that if this is a thing that's going to grow and get bigger, there should be measures in place to be able to actually you know, maybe an agency of some kind that can actually check the mothers through and make sure that um, everything is safe for the child because obviously this is all about the safety of the child and what's best for the child in the mother's eyes. Um, and I think it's really important that they, they get what they think they're getting. I totally agree with you. I think it needs to have that medical reassurance behind it. I also think that, you know, we've talked a lot that there are certain people online that perhaps you don't want to be talking to and I would want proof that there is a child that this milk is going to I would I'd want photographic or real life evidence um we've had quite a few comments on Facebook we have as well as you say it has been uh, quite polarizing Kelly says there are many babies born too soon too small or too sick that this would benefit in some circumstances a mother can't produce milk baby has to be tube fed or both and the best thing for them is breast milk to help them thrive if I hadn't been able to while my son was in hospital I would have been happy to have used someone else's milk as long as it was safe Angela says if the donor is healthy and the milk is fresh why not I think it's a brilliant idea and Brenda says um, that she was fed someone else's breast milk at the hospital when she was born and she was premature and her mother didn't have enough milk for her she says this went well over this was well over 70 years ago but it hasn't done her any harm and just finally Claire says not on the internet but yes to banking it at maternity wards or pharmacies for newborns and babies that are in need of it I'd be happy to do this and for my babies to receive it well any other thoughts 166177 you can email women today at manxradio.com and uh, like buses another breastfeeding story is also making 
making the headlines this week. Um, did you hear about this BBC radio presenter who's been suspended over comments he made on air about breastfeeding? DJ Alex Dyke said breastfeeding is unnatural and has to be stopped in public. That was during his phone-in show on BBC Radio Solent on Wednesday. Uh, his remarks led to an online petition which has attracted thousands of supporters calling for him to be taken off air. Um, it was really interesting because before I actually read his comments, I assumed that maybe he was just being deliberately controversial to get people to text and call and comment in, which is something actually when you go through media training that uh, for radio programmes you are advised to do. Yes, but then you read his comments. Let me just read some of them to you. Uh, Couldn't mums just stay at home and do it? I'm not offended by it. I'm just made to feel uncomfortable by it. You wouldn't get yummy mummies breastfeeding in public. Those kind of women wouldn't do it because they're very image conscious and they know it's not a great look. I blame the earth mothers. You know the ones I mean. The ones with the moustaches, the ones who work in libraries, the ones who wear hessian, the ones who are always on Radio 4 and Women's Hour. They're always pushing the boundaries and making us feel uncomfortable. Uh, He goes on, breastfeeding is unnatural. It's the kind of thing that should be done in a quiet private nurse. It was okay in the Stone Age when we knew no better, when people didn't have their own teeth, but now I think a public area is not the place for it, and fellas don't like it. But here's my personal favourite. Defending his comments later, he said, My point was fat, shabby mums with their boobs out on buses isn't a good look. A classy, discreet mum is absolutely fine. Oh, don't just, you know, don't just offend women. Let's, let's get into a class war. That's a really good idea. I, yeah, I mean, he overstepped the mark, didn't he? Just a tad. So here we are, Beth. We are outside the tattoo parlour. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm quite ready to go home, actually, to be honest. And I'm wondering whose idea this was. I think it's very much yours. Yeah, it seemed like a really good idea. I am, um, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It seems a bit more real now we're sat outside. How long have you been thinking about this? Do you know, I have always wanted to get one. I have always wanted to get one. I just was hoping maybe one would magically appear rather than me having to actually go through the process of having needle doing it. But I have been walking down the street today and I've seen countless people with tattoos. So if they're that bad, people wouldn't go back and have more. So I'm kind of holding on to that and um, just really hoping that I don't scream pass out or swear so uh, can you tell us exactly what you are getting i'm getting the hebrew letter b because it's pronounced bet or beth um so i wanted something that was a little bit meaningful but not too out there and yeah and something permanent yeah i think so oh henna maybe i should do (laughs) henna do you think she does henna beth get out the car we're going in (laughs) okay beth we've come inside now your tattoo is being traced still nervous No, I think if it just stays on the tracing paper, that's great. And actually what I'll do is I'll just take that home with me and uh, we'll all all be fine. You've just been told, you know, it's no worse than childbirth. Is that reassuring or...? I mean, it's fairly reassuring. I've done that three times, so I reckon... as long I I just don't want to make a fool of myself, I think, is, you know... Do people make fools of themselves sometimes? No. Okay. (sighs) I'm fine. I just say I am so relaxed right now. I am just like jelly. I'll do is I'll put it on and take some photos so you can see oh, where it is. Thank and then... you. I think it's cool. I like it. Yeah. 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 Right, okay. Oh my god. <laughs> right, you go, go and sit around there and put your bum right back to here. And you can just put your feet on that chair. Okay. You look like you're sitting praying. <laughs> 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 oh. I just keep needing to remind myself that I'm choosing to do this. I am choosing to do this. I am choosing to do this. So if you feel funny at all, tell me and I'll stop for a minute. Okay.
How are you feeling, Beth? Are you all right? I'm okay. I think I'm okay. I'm all right. What do you feel like? It's, um, you know, I wouldn't choose to do it every day, just saying that here and now, but it's not, it, I don't think it's as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's a little bit uncomfortable, but um, yeah, it's okay. Beth came in with a, quite a definite idea of what she wanted. Do yeah. most people come to you knowing what they want? Yeah, most of the time. Most of the time people have a photograph or something and they say, yeah, I just want that. But it's nice when they say, oh, I want this, but you do what you want. How did you get started? I wanted to do it years ago, but I asked around town and stuff and they were just like, no, you don't want anybody. Um, and that was about ten years ago. And then when I had my little girl, I thought, right, I definitely want to do it. So I emailed loads of people in the UK and asked them, would anyone show me what to do? And one place came back and said, yeah, I'll show you. So went away and they showed me. <laughs> was I very brave? Yes. Will you just say that lots of times? It's going to be really cold. That's fine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's done. You've got a tattoo, Beth. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> does it worry you that your rebellious teenage years have come in your 30s? <laughs> yeah, just slightly. I think it worries more the people around me more. What's going to be next? Yeah? Oh, my gosh. But see, the thing is, I can't see it, so, you know, it's fine. Is it okay? Does it look all right? I mean, it's not what you asked for. But... <laughs> no, 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 it is. It looks really nice. Can you see now why people get addicted? Or is it too soon to I say? It's too soon. To be honest, I can't imagine having, you know, like having one that would take hours. I'm not sure I could cope with that. But... Oh my gosh, I love it. <gasps> look at that. I'm looking at a photograph of it. I'm sure I haven't managed to swivel my head around to look at my back. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Oh, thank you. We were also joined this week by two members of the charity Soundcheck, which gets young people aged between 12 and 25 involved in music at youth clubs around the island. And here to play us out now are Soundcheck members with their version of Ellen Vannon. When the summer day is over As busy cares have flown I will sit beneath the starlight with a weary heart alone Let me hear the ocean murmur Let me watch your stormy sky Men above the emerald waters Sings this eagle as she
thanks as always to our amazing guests. And as ever, it's never too late for you to get involved. Head over to Facebook, find the Women Today Facebook page and you can comment there or you can follow us at MR Women Today on Twitter. And you can listen again to the full programmes on manxradio.com or join us every weekday live from just after two o'clock. In today, brought to you by CityWing.com for your next flight away. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shore.com. Love being sure. Terms and conditions apply.